Hello, today is Friday, August the 6th, and this is episode number 26 of the Khan Wealth Advisory podcast series. I'm Asif Khan, Wealth Advisor with BMO Private Wealth. My last podcast was about two months ago. I've not been as frequent with them for the simple reason that there has not been too much to comment on. The purpose of this podcast is to provide perspective on current issues that make us all concerned about the now. Financial journalism has a way of getting many of us scared from time to time. As you know from my previous podcast, I subscribe to the belief that financial journalism sensationalizes the news and creates fear. It is what gets eyeballs and clicks. Therefore, the purpose of the podcasts are to be able to provide context for our listeners. So, what are the current issues that has everyone scared? You probably can guess them. They are the Delta variant, inflation, and the market is due for a correction. So, let's start with COVID-19 and the Delta variant. First, generally, we know that developed countries, for the most part, have high vaccinations, lower infections, and declining hospitalizations. Emerging countries have low vaccinations, higher infections, and probably high fatality rates. The Delta variant is known to be 50% more contagious than the previous strain, which was 50% more contagious than the original strain. So basically, anyone who has not been vaccinated is going to contract the Delta variant. Thus, we should get herd immunity via everyone being either vaccinated or having contracted COVID-19. We also know that for the U.S. and Canada, basically 99% of deaths and serious hospitalizations from COVID-19 are occurring in people that are not vaccinated. There are some interesting experiments or realizations that are presently occurring. We know that the U.K. has had relatively high inoculation rates, but they have had a surge in new cases from the Delta variant. Basically, 50,000 people per day are contracting it. But what are they to do? They have basically vaccinated anyone willing to get the shots. So instead of heightening restrictions again, they are removing all of them. Basically, they have no silver bullets left. So the option they have put forward is let's open it up and let's let's let those who have not contracted COVID-19 get it and let's be done with it. It will be interesting to see how this experiment goes. And the most important stat to watch will be the fatality rate. Other countries that have lower vaccination rates but low cases generally are New Zealand and Australia. At any sign of rises in cases, which for us would probably be considered low, they increase lockdowns. How long can this restrictive policy go on? And then there's Japan, generally an older population and only 30% vaccination rates. It will be interesting to see how these developed countries fare in the months ahead as they have had lower cases and also lower vaccinations. Now, countries like Indonesia are now undergoing record cases and deaths. And on the flip side, there is India that was experiencing drastic increases in cases. And now they have succeeded in reducing the infections and deaths. The scientific guess with India is that they have achieved herd immunity via vaccinations and contractions of the virus. Some estimate that as much as 65 to 75 percent of India's population has actually contracted COVID-19. This is not a great way to achieve herd immunity, but might just be the reality for many developing nations as they don't have the infrastructure or the wealth to vaccinate their vast populations. Basically, different countries are on different paths. Here in Canada and for the most of the Western world, the conundrum will be, do we lock down again at any rise in cases? My guess is that because of low fatality rates, having protected the most vulnerable in society and the low need to triage, 
Delays and loosening restrictions will be the order of the day versus reinitiating lockdowns. We have been fortunate in Canada that we've had little vaccine hesitation, and we have one of the highest uptakes of vaccinations in the world. So in short, COVID-19 will dominate the headlines for some time more, but we should be seeing more light at the end of the tunnel as each day passes. To finish my COVID commentary, I would like to read what I consider to be an intelligent comment from a journalist from the Wall Street Journal. He said, if you haven't had COVID yet, you will. If you have had it once, you'll have it again. If you're vaccinated or were infected previously, which will one day be most people except the very young, your symptoms will likely be mild or non-existent, but it's not guaranteed. Words the CDC says about the flu, it will one day say about COVID. That is, vaccination is especially important for people 65 years and older because they are at high risk of developing serious complications from the flu. Flu vaccines are updated each season as needed to keep up with changing viruses. Nobody is surprised when they get the flu for the second, the third, or the eighth time in their lives. This is what the scientists meant when, for the last 50 months, they said the new coronavirus was likely to evolve and become endemic. Now on to inflation. So we have all heard that inflation numbers are the highest in a very long time. Simply, when you compare inflation from a year ago or a little bit longer, we have seen prices go up because so many things went down. Remember when oil was below zero dollars? The other thing that we have been hearing on the news is that inflation is transitory. That simply means that inflation is not permanent. I will posit that we are going to have a bit of both. We will have inflationary pressure because of the government's money printing policy, and we will have deflationary forces because of all the productivity that we have learned or are going to implement because of what the pandemic has taught us. Let me explain. First, the government has partaken in something called modern money theory. What this means is that you should print money and give it away or just increase government spending with the free printed money. Many of the Western countries, including Canada, did this during the pandemic. In short, if a country were to do this, it would create inflation. Think Venezuela and Zimbabwe from years ago. They printed so much, ran inflation to the sky, and devalued their currencies. But this time, everyone did it, so it kind of had a negating effect. And they didn't do it to the extent that Venezuela and Zimbabwe did it. However, let's understand what it means to print lots of money. In simple terms... Let's imagine that there is $1 million in the economy and there is 1 million apples. Therefore, the cost of each apple is going to be $1. Now, the government comes and prints $300,000 more or 30% more than what was circulating in the economy. So now the economy has $1.3 million but still has 1 million apples. So when you do the math, the cost of an apple is now $1.30. This is a simple explanation, not really real, but it shows how printing money creates inflation. In this case, a 30% increase in the price of apples. But generally, this is okay because we also got 300,000 free dollars from the government. But when this happens, you're going to get some smart farmers that will produce more apples. But you can't just create 30% more apples right away. So we will have real inflation in the short term. The question is, for how long? And other factors that the media wants us to be mindful of or fearful of is that we are heading towards a commodity super cycle. That is, the price of everything, such as oil and lumber, will continue to keep going up. But the main drivers for this would have to be China and India. China's economy, yet still hot, is not growing as fast as it was in the past, 
and India is just not growing fast enough. The other drivers that are not mentioned as much are deflationary, and they are many. Eventually, supply chain issues will fix themselves. That's the price of shipping containers coming from wherever in the world to our ports over here. They used to be about $2,000, and now they are at $9,000. But this will come back down as well. Many Western countries have low fertility rates, which is deflationary by nature. The impact of new technologies is also deflationary. And healthcare and education costs are not expected to rise the way they have in the past. And one could argue that the pandemic may have taught us how to lower these costs. Think, for example, virtual learning and e-visits from your doctor. Then there are productivity gains. That is, we make more with the same inputs. And we have maturing emerging market economies, which will also put deflationary pressures on world goods. But we have inflation for now, and perhaps for the medium term, and it will be interesting to see how this all plays out over the years to come. From a perspective of investments, do remember this. Companies pass along inflation to their customers. The price of a double-double or a Big Mac will go up by a dime or so. So companies will continue to keep their profit margins. They'll grow their business, they'll grow their earnings, and they'll grow their dividends. It is the ultimate inflation hedge. So for the last part of our commentary today is the rise in rhetoric that the markets are overvalued. This has been regular commentary from financial journalists. It has actually been going on since the recovery of 2008 and 2009, but I digress. Simply, we need only know that companies' profits have been growing faster than expected and they are expected to continue to grow more. As governments continue to keep interest rates low, there is a logical argument that market levels are low relative to interest rates, and they still have room to go up. But let's understand a few other points. The housing shortage here and in the U.S. is being met by builders building more homes. This alone will add to economic growth for multiple years into the future as home building has a wonderful ripple effect into so many other industries. Think lawn care, appliances, furniture, etc., Capital expenditures, which have been flat for a decade now, are also on the rise. That is, companies are spending more on improving their machinery, their buildings, and their technology. Also, individuals' disposable income and the amount of cash that businesses have is at record levels. And as already mentioned, companies' earnings are at record levels as well. There are more jobs and people applying for them, household net worth is the highest it has ever been, and debt servicing is now at one of the lowest points for families because of the low interest rates. With all of this, financial journalists still find reasons to create fear. I'm not saying that we will not have bumps in the road. We will have recessions, corrections, and crashes. We will have something like COVID-19 that comes out of left field that will create disruptions. We will have elections that make us fearful. We will not like how governments implement policy. And we will have geopolitical issues, tensions, and escalations. Remember that the markets have dropped significantly in the years past. Remember 1973, 1987, 2002, 2008, and of course, 2020. These were all big valleys. But in the last 50 years, the markets are up. Companies' earnings are up and dividends are up. They are all up a lot. Any other messaging is fear-mongering. Just look at the last year and a half. We were to fear the pandemic. We were to fear the depression, the pandemic or the plague was to give us. We were supposed to fear the U.S. election. And now we're supposed to fear inflation and new variants. Financial journalism does not focus on what goes well. 
So let us close out with a quote from Sir John Templeton. He said, Bull markets are born on pessimism, grow on skepticism, mature on optimism, and die on euphoria. Guess where I think we are in that cycle. Here's our corny dad joke. What do a tick and the Eiffel Tower have in common? They are both Paris sites. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you soon. Howdy, and thanks for sticking around. You know what I really miss? I miss COVID traffic. Remember when you could drive almost anywhere in like 10 minutes? I thought everyone was working from home. Where have all these cars come from? So I'm taking my kids up to Friday Harbor this weekend in Innisfil, taking some board games, looking forward to beating them all in Monopoly and Scrabble. This is my first bit of real time off in about two years, so I'm really looking forward to it. I miss traveling and I'm really looking forward to when things start to open up. Let's hope and pray that we get closer to normal and can start doing all the things that we love doing. As an update to my family, my third daughter is off to high school this September and my two elder daughters will be in their first and third year of university. I've been one of those parents that have been a holdout in getting my kids phones when they were not in high school. Both my older two had to wait till grade nine to get phones. Wasn't so hard to convince them. But now my grade eight daughter, who's off to grade nine, is ready to get her phone. And she's been telling me for the last few years that she is the only person in grade six, grade seven, grade eight to not have a phone. I just don't see the need to have a phone in elementary school. I wonder how my one and a half year old is going to hold out. Be well and enjoy the rest of the summer. We'll talk to you soon. Bye for now.